And when you've left the LDS church, one of the common uh, misconceptions is, well, I can't go to a Christian church because I already got burned by a church. Yeah, yeah, you, you did. You got burned by uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They're humans, but bad leadership, not godly as far as the Bible is concerned. They're teaching wrong doctrine. But just because somebody gets burned from uh, uh, attending a Mormon Mormonism uh, it doesn't mean that there's not a God and that, that there's not a Jesus who loves you. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. I've been excited for this guest. It's Eric Johnson, and he is from a Mormonism ministry, research ministry, right? Yeah, it is. You got it and right. You are like a research associate there, and I'm going to have to ask you to explain what a ministry is because uh, I, I'm really not sure I understand. So. <laughs> Well, we, uh, so Mormonism Research Ministry was founded in 1979 by Bill McKeever in Southern California. He became a Christian uh, at 18, and uh, he had a lot of Mormon friends. Nobody ever tried to share their faith with him until after he became a Christian, evangelical Christian. So they started to try to convert him at that point. So he did a lot of research at that time and realized there were a lot of differences between what he believed or what he was he had just gotten into Christianity versus what Mormonism had taught. And uh, so we started that ministry in 1979. Uh, the ministry has a twofold objective. Uh, number one is to share our faith with Latter-day Saints. We care very much about them. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15 that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. And uh, 1 Peter 3.15 and 16 says that we're supposed to have answers for everyone who asks us to give the reason for we have for what we believe, but do it with gentleness and respect. So that would be the first objective is to share our faith. The second is to explain what Mormonism is to evangelical Christians and try to be as accurate as possible by going to the, uh, the best sources, which are the general authorities, Salt Lake City, and explain what uh, their leaders have taught in the past and what they teach today. So those are the two main things of what we do. We have a uh, uh, daily podcast Monday through Friday. We air on six different radio stations uh, across the nation and then um, including Salt Lake City. And we also have that as a podcast. Our website is a big part of what we do, mrm.org. And, uh, and then we write books. Uh, the book uh, Introducing Christianity to Mormons just published in September. And you have a copy of that. And that uh, j just came out with Harvest House. And that in the last um, eight years, that's the sixth book that we have put out. So um, we, we've done a lot of writing, but the internet has certainly been probably even more so because people can access that information. Yeah, I I caught you on Sean McDowell's latest. Um, you guys are talking about Mormon faith crisis. And so it caught my eye. I went down a Christian atheist rabbit hole shortly after I left. And mm -hmm. so I was already familiar with Sean McDowell. Uh -huh. And um, so anyway, I found that interesting. And I was like, man, this Eric guy, he's close by. Maybe he'll let me interview him. And you did. So I'm happy that you're here. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm always glad to talk. Yeah. I was going to say that you wrote this book. Um, I liked a quote in there. You said, uh, since God gave us uh, each person two ears, but only one mouth, it's important to remind ourselves that we must listen 
and not completely dominate the discussion. Uh, that is the spirit of what I like to do. I feel like everyone needs to be a better listener. <laughs> so it's hard sometimes, <laughs> especially in this online space, like comments, right. the YouTube comment section, Facebook comment section is just mm -hmm. terrible. People don't realize they're talking to another person. So, and I think um, it's even gotten worse, Marty, in, in the last two, three years, wouldn't you say since yeah. COVID? Uh, it seems like there's even, it, I mean, it's always been an issue even before 2020, but it seems like in the last three years, People are very short. They are opinionated and they don't want to listen to what other people have to say. I think that's very sad. Yeah. And I, I'm just as guilty as the next person. I'm not trying to say I'm better than anyone, but I am trying to practice not doing that. So <laughs> you kind of already explained what a Christian, what your Christian ministry, can you kind of explain what a ministry is in general? Is it just like a nonprofit and different, they maybe have different mission statements yeah, well, in Christianity, we have churches, of course, and those are nonprofit, tax-exempt uh, organizations uh, all over um, the world and here in the United States. And uh, what our church is is not a church. What our ministry is not a church. It's a parachurch organization. It is a... Um, it, it helps the churches is what we try to do. So a pastor doesn't have time to do a lot of research like we're able to do. We don't have to come up with a sermon every week and monitor the congregation. So we have freedom to be able to have opened up to us to be able to support what the church does. So we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, uh, we have Bill McKeever and myself as the full-time employees, so to speak, and we have some volunteers as well. And, and our, our objectives that I mentioned earlier, that's always at the forefront of what we're trying to do. We're trying to share our faith with people who want to hear what we have to say, and we, and we want to inform Christians. We don't want Christians to walk away from Mormonism confused as to what Mormonism really teaches, because there are many differences between Mormonism and Christianity, and that, that needs to be explained in, in what we try to do in a biblical sense. Right. I, I'm going to ask for myself, are they all the same type of Christian? No, you're asking a good question. And uh, there are a lot of different kinds of people who call themselves Christian. When you go back to the historical, I mean, you have uh, back in the 11th century, we had a split between the Western and the Eastern churches, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern churches, which are made up of the Greek and the Russian and the Copts and, and other Eastern groups. And so they, they came to a disagreement at that point where they no longer kind of followed the, the, the same idea, but they still had the same general ideas as to who is God, who is Jesus, uh, differed on other things as well. But in the, um, in the 16th century, we had what's called the Protestant Reformation, and that was a breakaway from the uh, the, the Western Catholic Church. Uh, that would be with Martin Luther, Huss, and a number of other people, and that's church history if you look at that. So there was a breakoff. So as Protestants, we are um, a, we're in the Western realm of things, but we are not Roman Catholic in that sense because there are many differences between the Roman Catholic faith and the Protestant faith. Now, within Protestant uh, Christianity, you have a lot of different people who are claiming that they belong to that. You have the liberal mainstream churches like the Church of Christ and some of the Presbyterian churches, and 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 they're more on the liberal end. Disciples of Christ, uh, these churches uh, 
we feel uh, have fallen away from what the Bible teaches. And so there's a lot of issues that we would have with people who call themselves Christians and, and follow that uh, progressive uh, Christianity, so to speak. Uh, and then within evangelical Christianity, so that's another uh, marker. Um, uh, that would be uh, a lot of different kinds of denominations. That would be your Calvary chapels, for instance, that would be uh, um, uh, evangelical free. It would be Southern Baptists. There's a whole, and I'm just naming a few mm -hmm. of those who fall in line with the same kinds of ideas. Don't agree on all points of doctrine. Don't get me wrong. I mean, while we believe in the same God and we worship the same Jesus, Jesus being God in the flesh, fully God, fully man, that we believe salvation comes by grace through faith, that we believe our authority is the Bible. Those are things that evangelical Christians can agree on. It, we might disagree on another on other things like should we baptize infants or should we wait until they are old enough to understand. Uh, when is Jesus returning? Uh, how should a church polity or the government work in a local congregation? Should there be uh, um, uh, should there be elders? Should it just be the single pastor? We have differences on those things, and I just love the fact that you can't put an evangelical Christian in a cookie cutter mold. I mean, we have the same basic foundational truths. But we might have different ideas on a number of things. It makes interesting debates, controversies. Uh, you know, we, oh, I disagree with you. And at the end of the day, we walk away calling each other brother and sister. So that, that's, I don't know if I've explained it well enough for you, but uh, in evangelical Christianity, uh, I'm going to look at their statement of faith and see what they're believing about who God is, who Jesus is, what a person needs to do to receive justification by faith, which is justification by faith alone, not by works. Uh, the Bible is their standard of truth. Those are some of the things that I'm going to look at to determine, is that somebody I can call a brother? Or is that somebody who calls himself a Christian, but believes contrary to what the Bible teaches? Okay. Um, which is, are you, is your ministry associated with any particular church? No, we or are completely separate. So in that sense, uh, you, you can say that, uh, um, we, we're a parachurch organization helping out all kinds of churches. I go to a, um, a church in, uh, in South Jordan, Utah. Bill goes to a church in West Jordan, Utah. We don't even go to the same uh, local congregation. Um, and so uh, um, no church. we do get several churches who support what we do. Most of our support comes from individuals, mm -hmm. uh, but we do have churches who support us, but we're not affiliated with the denomination or that church specifically. Okay. So if, if someone is looking to go to a church, like what does that look like when you move to a new place? Like when, or if you're becoming interested in Christianity, like what, what does that look like for a person? That's a great question, Marty. And uh, that's a really important question. I deal with it in chapter 10 of my book. And I'm going to say that uh, you want to go to the right kind of church because there are bad churches out there. There are some that are very judgmental and uh, very opinionated on um, majoring on minor issues. And uh, I, I would stay away from those. Here in Utah, uh, we have a website called utahchurches.org. And if you go to that website and you let it allow you to, uh, to, to see where you're at, it will show you the churches in your area that we consider to be good, solid, Bible-believing churches. And uh, we're not going to put in churches that we would not want you to go to. And so for if you live in Utah, I would go to utahchurches.org and 
and then take five, 10 of those churches, take five or 10 weeks every week, go to a different church, see see how they, you know, how their service goes. Uh, churches are different. Some are going to be more traditional hymns uh, in their singing and their worship, and others are going to be more contemporary. They're going to use drums and electric guitars. That Some people, that's not their cup of tea. Uh, the, the preaching, is it expository? Is it being done from the Bible? Or is it just a bunch of self-help uh, mismatch uh, information that doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. Uh, the friendliness of the people. Does it have a children's program? If you have children, those are some of the things you're going to want to look at when you uh, when you go to a church for the first time. And then, is that a church you want to go back again to see? But I would still say go to three, five, ten churches just to get an idea of what they're all about. And I think you're going to find two or three that stand out go to those a couple of other times, ask to meet. If it's a smaller church, ask to meet with the pastor. Um, you know, And then hopefully they have Bible studies perhaps during the week, maybe attend one of those. Uh, they might have a women's group. Uh, they might have a men's group. They might have different activities that they can you can get involved with and, uh, and, and grow. And that's one of the th reasons I wrote this book is I, I think there are a lot of people who don't really understand what biblical Christianity is all about. So what I wanted to do was just give a, a general overview without getting into those minor issues, such as when is Jesus returning? What's going to be the event timeline? Uh, I'm not going to get into which version of the Bible is the best version for you, or I'm not going to get into those things, but I want people to be able to understand the majors. And then once you understand those things, you can then use that information to find out more about a church and hopefully the pastor would meet with you, go out to lunch and ask a lot of questions. Why should I be coming to your church? What, Not necessarily what this church is going to be able to do for me. It should be able to do a lot for you. But how will I be able to contribute as well as part of that body? Because a local church body, I think, is so important for a Bible-believing Christian to go to. And when you've left the LDS church, one of the common uh, misconceptions is, well, I can't go to a Christian church because I already got burned by a church. Yeah, yeah you, you did. You got burned by uh, the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. They're humans, but bad leadership, not godly as far as the Bible is concerned. They're teaching wrong doctrine. But just because somebody gets burned from uh, uh, attending a Mormon Mormonism uh, it doesn't mean that there's not a God and that, that there's not a Jesus who loves you. I'll give you an instance. For instance, Marty, I had a, a couple uh, eight years ago, 80 years old. They came to Gerald and Sandra Tanner's bookstore, uh, Utah Lighthouse bookstore you're probably familiar with, and they, they came and sat down. I, I used to volunteer along with Bill McKeever on Saturdays to give Sandra a day off. We did that for 17 years. And they came in and sat down. And I talk about this in chapter 10 of my uh, book where they said, what do we do now? And I said, I don't understand. What do you mean? What do you do now? And they said, well, we don't believe Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God. They got into the gospel topics essays and it bothered them that Joseph Smith had been married to 30 to 40 wives. The, the church admitted to that in the gospel topic essay that he used a stone and a hat to translate the Book of Mormon. They had never heard that before. And now all of a sudden they're reading on the church website. This is not good. And that the Book of Abraham was a spiritual translation, but not necessarily a literal translation. Those things caused him and his wife to say, uh, the Mormon church is not true. 80 years old, they were born in the covenant. And I said, well, 
I, I, I want to tell you, my friend, um, uh, there still is a God and there's a Jesus. Unfortunately, you did not find him there. And uh, we were able to show him what the Bible teaches. He's been going to my Bible study. I have a weekly Bible study at my home. He and his wife have gone for the last eight years. They're 88 and in great shape, still driving, still. I mean, you would not even know these folks are, are 88 years old, both of them. And they love Jesus. A completely different um, outlook than they had uh, a decade ago when they were in a church and they were they were doing their service um, with their callings. They were very faithful members uh, since the time they were born. They, they were in this church. And now they know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. I think that is why I do what I do. And that's why I live here in Utah, because if you're a evangelical Christian, there's very few of us. We're fewer than 2% of the population. But there are a lot of people here who need to know what the gospel is. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you mentioned, uh, feeling burned, that's definitely true. Um, and I can't, like, one of the reasons I found Sean McDowell is because I was noticing that he was having conversations. I can't remember his name. There was a guy that was in a band and it was a popular. Oh, yeah, Adam's Road, rock- Micah Wilder. No, 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 no. That- he, he was de- he deconverted. Oh, um, okay. I don't know who that is. I can't remember. He had like bleach blonde hair. Anyways, uh, he deconverted Sean- back to Mormonism. Is that what you're no, saying? No, no, no. Sean McDowell interviewed this gentleman that was part of a Christian rock band, and and he deconverted. And oh. I really loved the conversation that Sean McDowell had with him. Okay, and it kind of sounded very similar to my experience. So. I would just, I guess I was curious, like, do people feel burned by biblical Christianity too? Like, do you have that same, um, I don't know, that same phenomena happening with, with your churches? Well, I, I'm certainly you have people who end up uh, becoming disenfranchised. They say, I don't want this anymore. Uh, yeah, you, you certainly do. Uh, I don't think to the extent, at least here in Utah, I can't speak for the rest of the nation, but, but uh here in Utah, I think you're seeing a mass exodus out of the LDS church compared to people leaving the evangelical Christian church. But it does happen. I, I, mm-hmm. I mean, I certainly know of people who have left and that, that you know, wh- why did they leave? Well, some people just felt, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a couple of reasons why people will leave. One is um, the bad things happen in their life. And they said, here, I spent all my time uh worshiping God. I went to church every Sunday and this happens to me. I mean, why do I need that? So I've I've had people tell me that that's the reason they end up leaving and just went to secular humanism. Um, I have friends from high school who were Christians and they just, they just grew tired of the whole thing and, and uh, now are very happy atheists, they say. And so, yeah, certainly it does happen. Uh, Here's the thing. Uh, If atheism is true, and I'm using that because so many former uh, Latter-day Saints end up becoming atheists. I'm sure you're familiar with Jana Reese's book that she wrote. Um, what was the name of that? Um, the Next Mormons. You and, Mostly yeah. because of your interview with Sean McDowell. I'll have to link it so people can listen. Yeah. To it. It, it, she, and I, I mean, I, Jana Reese is a Mormon blogger. She's more of a progressive, I suppose you would say. But in there, 45% of everybody who leaves the LDS church goes to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all. Okay, so you go to atheism, agnosticism, or nothing at all, and that's a path of truth for somebody. I mean, either atheism is true or it's not true, but it's not possible for atheism to be true and evangelical Christianity Christianity to be true or 
opposite. And so there is truth out there. And that's why I personally have been studying world religions literally since 1978. What got me started, Marty, was was um, uh, Jim Jones. I don't know if you're familiar with Jim Jones, yeah. the guy that had a thousand people drink the Kool-Aid. That's where that term comes from. I mean, uh, why would people drink Kool-Aid? They believe this guy was uh, God incarnate practically. And uh, it bothered me as a high school junior. That's why I started doing research. I have studied at, in depth. I've studied uh, several dozen religions, talking to the adherents, uh, reading their scriptures, trying to understand. I've taught this at the not only the college level, but also at the seminary level, which is postgraduate. I, I find religion to be fascinating. And one of the things that I have discovered is everybody believes their path is a true path, but not all of them can be true. I'm not a I'm not a universalist. I'm not a person who believes that as long as you're being faithful to your particular branch of whatever you believe, that you're somehow on the right path. Because I believe that there are wrong paths. You know, either I think either the Bible is true or it's not true. You can't say, well, it's true for you, but not for me. I, I don't believe that that is a possibility. If the Bible is true, and if Jesus is the God in the flesh, as, as Christians believe him to be, and if he said that broad is the road to destruction, narrow is the path to life, then I'm going to have to say most people are wrong about ultimate reality they mm -hmm. they are they're they're maybe they're, they're sincere maybe they're trying their best or whatever it is but they haven't found what you two said was what i'm looking for I haven't still haven't found what i'm looking for and and i think the most important thing marty is that you're looking mm -hmm. because even if you i have not determined what is true my hat goes off to you because if you're open-minded and you're searching I believe that uh, if you seek after God, he will make himself known. I, I, the mm -hmm. Bible teaches that very clearly. And I'd rather talk to somebody who is open-minded about reality, about truth, than somebody who is closed-minded. Unfortunately, a lot of people who end up leaving Mormonism, and I've talked to a number of them who say, I want nothing to do with organized religion. I don't, I'm not asking people to be involved in organized religion. I don't think Christianity is about religion. It is a religion, but I don't think it's about that. I think it's more about a relationship with God. Jesus hmm. has made himself available and the Bible is our special revelation provided to us for us to be able to know what the mind of God is. Why wouldn't I want to know what God has spoken? Because a lot of people think, well, he's silent and he has never spoken to me, but then I ask the question, have you picked up your Bible? Have you have you read the book of John? Have you read through and tried to understand what, what, what Jesus and his message was all about? Have you tried to understand what Paul and his message was all about? Have you tried to understand the old through the New Testaments? I mean, we're talking about uh, we're talking about a book that was written on three different continents, written in three different languages three different languages and uh it's um uh, written by 40 different authors from uh, a, a period of uh over 1500 years and uh it it is telling the same story all the way through about mm -hmm. how god loves people that's what the story is from the very beginning to the very end and uh god has allowed for people to uh have their own way uh c.s lewis the famous uh, uh writer he was a philosopher he said, there's two ways you can deal with this. One is you can say, thy will be done, which is what we as Christians want to do. And then um, God saying, thy will be done to those who, who want hell, 
separation from God forever, you're, you're going to get it. For mm -hmm. those who want God, you're going to get it. So that's, I think, the most important thing we can do in this short period of time we call life is to seek after truth. And it's going to take some work. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of questions that have to be asked. And, uh, and when you find what it is you're looking for, I think you'll know it. And for a lot of people here in Utah who have left the LDS church, they knew that the church did not have what it takes because it wasn't teaching the truth about, uh, I mean, everything from the Book of Mormon and how it came to us and its history, the first vision, all of these things were are, are problematic. The church in so many ways lied to people for all these years until they've admitted some of it, not all of it, but some of it in the gospel topics essays. And, uh, and, and so for those folks who might be listening here, I would say, don't give up just because you got burned. Yeah, uh, burn me once, they say, I've, I've been told this many times, burn me once, shame on you. Burn me twice, shame on me. I, I don't think you need to think that way because we're not asking you to join a religion. We're asking you to open up your uh, mind to the, uh, the idea that the, God does exist. I think the evidence is very clear. There's so much evidence. And the idea that Jesus is who he claimed to be. C.S. Lewis said, he's Lord, liar, or lunatic, but you just can't turn him into a good teacher because uh, it, uh, it would, it would uh, Jesus never gave that option, C.S. Lewis said. And uh, the fourth option would be that it was a legend. But I think you can show how he was not lying and how he was uh, not, uh, uh, it, this was not just a legend, uh, but it actually, uh, it, Jesus is Lord. And so what are you going to do with that? Mm -hmm. I guess sometimes I wonder about the Jim Jones followers as well. And they could have said that same thing, right? They said, oh, the narrows the way. Yeah. This, that's why everybody thinks we're crazy, but this is the right way. Like also earlier, you talked about um, legalistic churches that are a little too legalist. Mm -hmm. Like where, where do you um, learn to find that balance of not going too, um, too legalistic and then also not going too liberal, I guess? Oh, another good question. Uh, we, we call it inference to the best explanation. It's a philosophical term. And what inference to the best explanation means is you lay all the evidence out on the table and you try to determine what is right and honorable and worthy and what is not. And you start to separate those things. Well, how are you going to find that? Is it going to be based on your own feelings, your own, uh, your own personal instinct? You know, our, our personal instinct can betray us. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful and it is not capable of being able to understand what God wants. That uh, Proverbs 14, 12 says that uh, no matter how good your intentions, no matter how much you feel something is true, it doesn't necessarily make it true. Feelings can deceive. And this is one of the major ways that missionaries try to get people to convert to the church is to pray about the Book of Mormon to see if it's true. And if it is, then you will have a, a burning in the bosom, it's called. Well, that is uh, th that's a terrible way of going about seeking truth. So in the inference of the best explanation, let's start off first. Is there a God? Does God exist? I think that's a great place to start. I think with all of the evidence, there are so many good books out there. There's so many good videos. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've seen a lot of those to say that 
it, it certainly seems the evidence points to uh, an almighty. It doesn't prove the Christian God. I mean, maybe Islam is true. Maybe uh, Eastern thought is true. There's different ways of, of viewing this higher power. But uh, taking a look first off to see if there is a God. If there is a God, well, then that discounts atheism. Atheism is wrong. If, if God exists, by definition, atheism is not true. That's the law of non-contradiction. You can't have A be non-A. So right, right off the top, you say, okay, there is a God. I do believe that. Now, what do I do with all of the claims of the different religions that say there is a God? I think you need to look at them. That's why I think give Christianity a fair shake. Read the Bible. Hear what Christians have to say about how to interpret that Bible. But your question is, how do you determine where you're being too legalistic or you're being too progressive? This is where you're going to have to do the hard work by understanding the Bible. Reading the epistles, I think, is one of the best things. Reading Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the New Testament, understanding what true doctrine is. I think we can really quickly understand what it means to be too, too narrow-minded, too, uh, you know, I mean, well, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're not allowed to, to walk 50 feet on the Sabbath, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, dietary law, there are people who call themselves Christians who say, if you, if you eat this certain thing, then you must not be a Christian. The Bible discounts that completely. I think you're going to be able to get rid of that narrow-minded idea and being so uh, conservative that you're always judging other people. Versus the progressive you mentioned. Well, the, I think that's a problem. And we've seen that, especially in the last three to five years, where people are starting to do what's right in their own eyes. That's a problem. Uh, I mean, uh, I, you know, without pointing out any specific sins, it just seems like so many people are wanting to have justification of what they do to be accepted by Bible-believing Christians. And we say, sorry, we, we can't accept that kind of behavior. We love sinners. I mean, that's that's God's command. You know, we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And I think one of the things that we do in loving our neighbors is we tell the truth. We don't mince uh, words. We say uh, the Bible is true. We believe that there's a heaven and there's also a hell. And so uh, for those who say, I can't live up to those uh, standards the Bible has. Well, this is what the Bible, the Bible is teaching us what is right, what is moral, how are we supposed to live? Uh, so it takes from God's mind and it translates it all the way to how we're supposed to live. That's the goal in Christianity is not just saying a little prayer and then going out and sinning the way we want, but living the way that he requires us to live. Um, I did hit that spot in your book where you were talking about the law of non-contradiction. And um, there's something that happens like when all your beliefs collapse and you're, you're hearing Pre President Hinckley say, well, Joseph Smith was either a fraud or he was a prophet. Those are only right. two choices. Um, and the thing that a lot of people go through, and I went through it as well, is that that's black and white thinking and that black and white thinking isn't doesn't necessarily hold true in reality. For example, like you were talking about two different churches, either one has to be true or the other one. And I was just thinking like when I read it or they both could be false. <laughs> like, and no, you're right. Uh, and that's there, why there's, there's only a lot of possibilities on that. Yeah. Well, that's why a lot of, I think a lot of people become universalist, not because they think that um, like, I, I, I know a lot of people get into, uh, ideas that there is no truth. And I, I understand it and I, I disagree, 
But at the same time, I don't think we're very good at knowing what truth is. And so it's not that I think that multiple churches are potentially both 100% correct. It's just that they're all a little wrong. And I think um, individuals need to kind of uh, take on the responsibility of choosing what they're going to do and then live with it. Because ultimately, you're going to live with your decisions. And so it, it seems like... Um, and I, I can see different personalities needing maybe some different kind of supplemental type. Like I'm already kind of a legalistic type personality. So I don't feel like Mormonism served me very well, <laughs> mm -hmm. but other people aren't like me. And I see them having a better relationship with the Latter-day Saint faith. And so it's not that I think they're both true. It's just that I think, um, so that that uh, scripture, the way is narrow. I think that is wise. It's a, it's a, because it's almost like it's dynamic, and you have to find your way. And it's not always stagnant. It's changing, and you're changing, and the world around you is changing. And so you have to like keep trying to find what the best path is. Anyway, these are um, some thoughts that I had after. <laughs> no, after and I, I hear what you're saying. Here, here's the idea of the pragmatic. Um, receiving what you need like for instance there are people who are latter-day saints it's pragmatic for them mm -hmm. i mean to leave the church after their you know their parents grew them in that church would be uh detrimental to their well-being i mean they would lose possibly their family they they could lose their job they could lose their social network there's a lot to possibly lose uh the church takes care of its own i mean there's a great social network in this church there's a lot going for the church and pragmatically I, I i'm the first to admit that that latter-day saints oftentimes do a great job of taking care of their own but i'm not sure that's the right reason for a person to want to remain in a church uh, religion that is teaching uh, different than what the Bible teaches. Now, you have to understand, I I'm going to, I I'm not claiming that I have every answer. Obviously, in our uh, in our knowledge base, we only have so much knowledge. Uh, uh, you know, what is it? Two percent, one, two percent of all the knowledge that's out there. We don't have it all. But we do have what the Bible calls general revelation. In, in uh, Psalm chapter 19, it talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. I think I can look up in the sky, in the stars, in the in the summer, in the desert, and go, there is a God. I mean, mm -hmm. the design of this universe. I mean, the idea of the moral argument. There's so many different reasons to believe that. That's called general revelation. But I also believe that God has given us special revelation to be able to understand who he is. When Paul, if you're going to believe the Bible, as I do, and Paul writes in Galatians 1, 8, he says, if anyone preaches to you a gospel other than the one I preach to you, let him be accursed. Those are pretty strong words to say that they ought to be accursed. Not me saying that. That was Paul. So if Paul is actually telling the truth, then it does matter what we believe. Our faith is not just whatever suits us pragmatically. The faith ought to be based on reality. And again, I come back, inference to the best explanation, which seems, based on the evidence that we have, to make more sense. That the LDS church is true, the Book of Mormon is true, that there was a first vision that actually took place, Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, or that those things are not true. Now, you're right. There's only four possibilities. Both of us, uh, one of us could be right and the other could be wrong. Atheist is right and the, or the Mormon is right and the Christian is wrong or vice versa. 
uh, it's possible both of us are wrong and that atheism is true or Buddhism or whatever, whatever the ism is, that that's true. But it's not possible, according to the law of non-contradiction, that both of us are right because they contradict. It's like it'd be like saying, well, gravity exists, but gravity doesn't exist. Well, that's nonsensical. Because either gravity exists or it doesn't exist. How can you show gravity exists? You take that pen and you drop it. How many times will it drop? Unless you're in a space capsule somewhere, 100 times out of 100 it will drop because it's called the law of gravity. Well, in the same way, I believe Christianity is, you called it black and white. I, I, maybe, I guess it is. Law of gravity is pretty black and white. And I think so is truth. Truth is either true or it's not true. And so you can't have Mormonism being true and biblical Christianity being true. One of us has to be wrong. Both of us could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not that, it's not that I, um, like you use the example of gravity and, um, my understanding is that there's, there's a lot of mystery around gravity and understanding like exactly how it works and stuff like that. And it's not that I don't think that gravity exists. It's just that I feel like sometimes people know about gravity and then they really, really stick with gravity. And then when someone learns something new about gravity, they're not willing to learn more about gravity. So it's not, it, it's not that um, I think that someone is right and someone's wrong. It's just that I think that the people, I don't think anybody is, I think we're always learning. And so it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me that we should stay stagnant on anything. <laughs> Well, based on what you've said, I, I can agree to that as far as there's more for me to learn. I've been a Christian for most of my life, and uh, there are times where I'm reading the Bible or I hear a sermon, and I, I have never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. I went to seminary, which is a postgraduate school back in uh, the 1980s, and um, I studied under two professors that uh, taught uh, that that taught there, they, that one was uh, Old Testament, the other was New Testament, Dr. Wessel and Dr. Youngblood. And um, uh, they, they were translators of the New International Version. It just came out 1978, the Old Testament, 1984, the New Testament. And I studied under, studied under these guys and they would tell stories of how they translated the Bible. It was incredible. Dr. Wessel was probably in his late seventies and we were at a, uh, we were at a meeting uh, at a retreat and I sat next to him and somebody gave a talk. And at the end, he had his Bible open and he's looking at his Bible after we had been dismissed for lunch. And I asked Dr. Wessel, Dr. Wessel, uh, what are you reading? He says, he looked up at me and, he, and I, I'll never forget this. He said, I have never seen what he has said. And that is so true. And I'm just reading it again, just to make sure I got this. This guy's in his 70s. He's, he translated the Bible for Pete's sake, and he was willing to learn about gravity, as you put it. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be open to that. I could be wrong on certain things. I don't believe I'm wrong on the existence of God or Jesus being my savior, but I'm open. I hope I'm open enough to, that when the evidence comes and, and says, you know, what you believe about this, you need to probably change your mind. And I've changed my mind more times than you can imagine in, in my lifetime uh, going, okay, uh, that, that, that's that. And so I, I, it's continually getting polished your, your, your faith, your faith mm -hmm. isn't stagnant. It shouldn't be stagnant. Anybody who says they've arrived, I've been a Christian for 10 years now. And so I know everything. Uh, the Bible describes us as being like leaky buckets. 
we need to put ourselves under the foundation because uh, if you think you've arrived, oh, I've read the Bible, I, I understand it all. Uh, you're going to pour out. The spirit needs to be filled with you or you need to be filled with the spirit. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> the Bible says uh, uh, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So that's what the Holy Spirit does. He fills us. And, and that's through uh, through uh, work, hard work. It's studying our Bible. It's it's uh, being in fellowship with other believers. It's prayer. Uh, there are other disciplines that we as Christians practice. And, and so I, I would hope that as you have put it, uh, being stagnant and not being open to other possibilities. I believe in that gravity. I believe in God, but I believe that I can understand more about that if I really work hard at it. Mm -hmm. um, do you mind sharing some of the things you said that there are things that you've kind of learned over the years? Any big aha moments or something that you updated um, in your belief? Uh, just curious. Yeah, no, I, that's a good question. Um, I, I remember when I was going to seminary and trying to understand the providence of God, um, the the, um, the idea that God is in control of all things and the freedom of man and trying to trying to reconcile that because it seems kind of almost contradictory, oxymoronic, uh, you know, you know, God is, uh, you know, he, he said the Bible talks about him predestinating uh, people, that uh, his foreknowledge, uh, he, he uh, um, chooses, the, talks about that. And yet it talks about people having the freedom to either accept or reject. I wrestled with that a lot. And, uh, and I came to a point where I, I believe that, okay, well, um, we have the freedom to accept or reject uh, what God's sovereign will is what he intends for us and, and uh and then as i did more study i couldn't reconcile that belief with what the scriptures talk about uh romans chapter 9 for me was a big one to explain that um uh who are you oh man to complain again you know about god you know uh, because what paul does in romans 9 is he goes through and he he, he uh he uses rhetoric to answer the uh, the issue, does man choose God or does God choose man? And that passage really bothered me. Then I look at Ephesians 1, 4, and 11, uh, where it talks about we're predestined before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Uh, and it says that uh, um, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us in Romans chapter 5. Well, wait a minute. He died for me as a sinner before I was even born on the cross? Well, yeah, he, he knew your name. He knew who you would, who, who you are. And I believe it's more than just him knowing it. I believe that he uh, has freedom in choosing. Uh, it's called the potter's freedom. The, the potter has the ability to uh, use a pot for noble purposes and ignoble purposes. So at that point, I changed my mind. And I, I believe that God is fully sovereign. I believe we have freedom in a certain way. We're free to be as bad as we want to be. But as far as as far as having a relationship with God, uh, it's him who comes seeking after me. He, it, um, Romans chapter six talks and Romans 10 talk about how uh, he knows his sheep by their name. And uh, so it's not a mystery to him like, oh, good. Eric became a Christian. I never thought that was going to happen. It was like that was part of my divine will. Now, the, now the hard question, Marty, is <laughs> why? Why are some people chosen and others not? I don't have that easy answer. I, I can't tell you why. Why mm -hmm. is it that broad is the road to destruction, narrow the path to life? I don't understand that either. 
But just because I don't understand it doesn't mean that it can't be true. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, I, so I was curious. So I've been really fascinated with like Catholicism. I was wondering, like, is that is that biblical Christianity or no? Catholicism um, is a uh, it. Um, I, I, there are problems, and I'm going to make your Roman Catholic listeners not very happy. But I, oh, I, I think don't there know are. If I have any of those. Uh, if you do, that one or two person uh, <laughs> out there. But uh, um, I, I think that Catholicism um, is based on tradition over the scriptures. It's interesting because back in the 14th century, there was a guy named John Wycliffe. I don't know if you've heard of that name. Uh, there's actually a translation uh, ministry out there called Wycliffe Translators. They, they actually translate the Bible in different languages all, and people groups all over the world. John Wycliffe lived in the 14th century, and he, um, uh, he, uh, his goal was to translate the Bible, which at that time was only in Latin based on the Hebrew and the Greek, and it was only in Latin from, from the fourth century, the Vulgate, uh, translated by Jerome, and he wanted that in English. So he translated that the, 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 uh, um, the people, the, 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 the Catholic Church was very angry about that. In fact, years after he died, he died a natural death. Years later, they dug him, at, I think 60 years later, they dug him back out of the grave and they burned his bones because he was a heretic. And there's a whole bunch of things have happened in the 13, 14, 1500s. Before King James came around in the 17th century, 1611, you have all these different uh, Bible translators and they were persecuted. Tyndale and others who, who uh, lost their lives because the church was against them. Why? Because uh, the, the, these uh, these people that started the Reformation wanted people to be able to read the Bible in their own language. And the Catholic Church wanted it to be all structured with the priests and with the Pope and all of that. I have a problem with that. In Catholicism, you have to be baptized in the Catholic Church to be saved. It's based on your works. And what you don't do right here, you have a intermediate state called purgatory. And that's where you'll take care of your venial sins, the white lies and the quote unquote little sins. Uh, the mortal sins can't be forgiven, murder and adultery. Well, we see in the Bible, murder and adultery can be forgiven. David was called a man after God's own heart. He committed murder of Uriah the Hittite and he committed uh, uh, adultery with uh, Bathsheba. And yet I believe he's going to be in heaven. Same with Paul. Paul was part of the murder of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He held the coats, it says. He was named Saul at the time. I believe he's a Christian. Jesus even talked about those of you who think murder and adultery are the worst sins. I tell you, he says, and, and this is found in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if a person uh, hates in his heart, it's the same as murder. And if a person lusts in his heart, that's the same as adultery. Well, who of us? We might not have killed a man and we might not have uh, committed adultery against our spouse, but we've all hated somebody. We've all committed uh, 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 adultery in the sense of, of lust. And so who can do this? Well, the answer is nobody. It's not based on you, though, in Christianity, whereas in Catholicism, it is based on you, how good you are. And then you're going to pay back those sins. No, that's I, I think uh, uh, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's good theology. Um, so I do have problems. I have Catholic friends and we debate the issues. We discuss those things. And I, I you know, I, I, I don't go so far as to say, well, you're going to hell. But I'm going to say, if you believe that it's based on what you do versus what Jesus did on the cross. Well, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but do you believe in him fully? Because 
That's not an option Jesus gave. Uh, you, uh, you take care of your part, I'll take care of mine. That's Mormonism. Mormonism says that, uh, um, it, you know, the bicycle parable told by Stephen Robinson, the little girl who gives 67 cents for her bicycle, uh, you do your best, Jesus pays the rest. That idea is not scriptural. The Catholic mm -hmm. Church owns that just as much as the Mormon Church does. And that's why I would have, I, I would not think that's an evangelical Christian church. It's not certainly not part of the Protestant church. In fact, if you talk to Catholics, uh, um, most times they're not in favor of, of Protestant Christianity. Well, and we haven't been baptized in their church. They do believe you have to get baptized in their church in order to be able to go to, to heaven. But different Catholics have different ideas, just like different Mormons do. But if you go back to see what the popes have taught and what official doctrine and dogma has been, um, it is contrary to uh, what I'm telling you, biblical Christianity teaches, and what I've written in this book, Introducing Christianity. I, why didn't I write down evangelical Christianity? I just use the word Christianity because you only get so many words in a title. But uh, I believe it. I, I would call it biblical Christianity. And I think if the Bible is true and it is what it says it is, that all scripture is inspired by God, then uh, I think that what I'm trying to portray here in this book is is, uh, I think, a faithful representation of what we as evangelical Christians believe. Mm -hmm. uh, it sounds like there's um, there's quite a few people that um, believe in Christ or use Christ as part of their uh, belief system then. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, why, why make the why not make the distinction between like Christian and biblical Christianity? Like you just did. Like, it seems like, for example, there's always this argument between, um, between like evangelicals and Mormons, like, are we even Christian? And it's very offensive to Latter-day Saints who like their center is to become like Jesus Christ. Right. That's their whole mm -hmm. goal in life. And so they're like, you're not, I'm not Christian. Right. So I just, at some point, it's the same thing in like the atheist world. Are you an atheist? What is an atheist? An agnostic yeah. and all that stuff. I, right. I feel like sometimes people argue about definitions when it's, they're saying the same thing sometimes. <laughs> and, and, and I don't go up to a Latter-day Saint or a Catholic and go, I'm a Christian, you're not. I mean, that's obviously fighting words and it's not going to accomplish anything. That's not speaking the truth in love as, as what we're taught to do in Ephesians chapter four. Yeah. Uh, the word Christian, unfortunately, it doesn't have a real clear meaning. It's like saying believe. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is Acts 16.31 and the Philippian jailer, when he says, what must I do to be saved? He's told believe. Well, what does that mean, believe? Well, is that just mean you believe in your head that Jesus exists or God exists? Well, mm -hmm. it says in James chapter 2, the demons believe in God. And they pursue sin. They they shudder because they understand the consequences of the, of the reality that God and G, and Jesus ultimately actually exist. So um, so it's like saying, well, you must believe. Well, Mormons would say, well, we believe Jesus is in our. You have to believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. He's in our church's name. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, we we've got. We're going to have to go a little further because the word has lost its meaning, unfortunately. Just like believe has. What does it mean to believe? I don't think it means. See, in Latin, there's three different terms we can use to help mm -hmm. us identify the differences between the word believe. There's fides, which is the head knowledge. The demons believe with their heads, but that doesn't make them saved. Then there's a census. The Latin word that means I assent to something being true. Well, that doesn't make you uh, um, 
a, a true believer. It's fiducia would be the third Latin term, and that's a heartfelt faith. And, mm -hmm. and so in the same way, I would say Christianity, I, I don't, I hesitate to say Mormons are not Christians because now you're right. We got to fight on our hands. Well, we're Christians too. When we go back and forth, uh, I just, I, I'm going to say with evangelical Christianity, biblical Christianity as I'm defining it, I have to define it that way because if I just, if I just say, uh, Christianity, it becomes awkward. But in a title of a book, I mean, uh, the, the uh, publisher is only going to let you have so many words and it has to be catchy. Christianity, I, I believe in true biblical Christianity. And uh, if you want me to identify that more, I will say, well, I'm not talking Catholic Christianity or Eastern Orthodox Christianity or Mormon Christianity. I'm talking about biblical Christianity. And certainly that's a minority view within the Christian realm in the world, of course. But there are Christians all over the world who hold very dearly to the precepts that are taught in the Bible. And the Bible is their mainstay. So mm -hmm. yeah, I don't mean to I don't mean to quibble about it. I, I'm certainly not trying to offend anybody by saying, and that's why I don't bring the term up usually. I don't usually say I'm Christian and you're not. Yeah. But at the same time, uh, uh, I see here's a, I could play this opposite because back in the old days, uh, we used the word Mormon. Since 2018, we're not supposed to. So let me use Latter-day Saint. Mm -hmm. I am a Latter-day Saint. Okay, and I could tell that to a person who belongs to the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and I'm a Latter-day Saint. They go, you are? Well, which word do you attend? Oh, I don't attend word. Um, well, you know, what do you believe about Joseph Smith? Oh, I believe he was a false prophet. Oh, what do you <laughs> believe about the Book of Mormon? I believe that it's a good story, but it's fictional. I don't believe it's a true story. I, historically, there's no evidence for it. Oh, wait a minute. You called yourself a Latter-day Saint? Yeah, I'm a Latter-day Saint. Do you see the problem? Because I could use a term and it's just confusing to people. So I wouldn't say I'm a Latter-day Saint because that meaning is, well, there was a restoration because of the great apostasy. Joseph Smith restored the church. So therefore, the former day saints, the latter day saints. Well, OK, so I won't call myself that because I don't want to confuse anyone. Yeah. That would be where I would stand on that. Well, I love how in your book you kind of talked about that. You said, well, let me let me let's like. Claire, before I start talking to you, let me ask you what you do believe. And that's just a uh, golden. I love that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that is important. And I, I, I've told people in the book, don't assume what Latter-day Saints believe. They might not believe it. I can tell well, you all. It's a, it is a lot like Christianity in that, like how you have a lot of people you do consider your, you know, Church of Christ in the, in the body of Christ or whatever. Uh -huh. I don't know what the word would yeah, I, no, I'm, I'm not a body of Christ to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, um, but you're all also disagreeing on some things. And I, I think that's going on in the Latter-day Saint tradition as well. Um, yeah. And they, they are disagreeing on things and maybe even essential doctrine. But generally, I don't find most TBM uh, folk to be disagreeing about whether God had a body or not. I mean, sure. well, I mean, certainly that's mm -hmm. going to be a standard uh, that Joseph it's like, it's Smith, like you said, there's yeah. a lot of people going to church that are uh, physically and mentally out. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, but generally they're going to have the same standards, although they're going to disagree on what do we do with LGBTQ plus? What do we do with Mother God? What do we do with, you know, there's a whole bunch of issues that Latter-day Saints do not agree with. And mm -hmm. so that would be the same kind of thing. And you could call those, I guess, peripheral issues. Like I would call some of the issues I talked about earlier peripheral because we can mm -hmm. agree to disagree and still call ourselves brothers. And I think Latter-day Saints can do the same thing. Right. Do you think it's it's possible to become a a Christian? Oh, I have two thoughts actually. Could there be a Latter Day Saint that is a biblical Christian that is a practicing Latter Day Saint? That is a common question. That's a great question. We get it asked a lot. You know, can somebody be a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter Day Saints and still go to quote unquote quote unquote heaven? I, I don't know. It depends on the individual. That's how I would respond to that, Marty. I, I would say, is that person a forgiven person? And wh what does that mean? Well, I'm not, I'm not too worried about going to heaven. I'm just kind of thinking the, the way that I've understood kind of some of the things you've said, it's not mm -hmm. so important about which church building you're going to. It's more important about your relationship with God. And it seems reasonable to have that relationship and still practice with Latter-day Saints. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm, that's, I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I guess I would ask the question. Uh, so can you explain to me who God is, you know, and find out what that person believes about God? If, if that's a person who says, I think I'm a Christian, I'm a different from maybe the rest of the mold. And OK, so what do you believe about God? What do you what do you believe about uh, authority? You know, what makes a person you know, have authority, the priesthood or what, because I believe that Christians have the priesthood. Uh, we call it the royal priesthood. First Peter talks about, uh, what do you believe a person has to do in order to get eternal life? I, I quoted earlier from Acts 16.30, what must I do to be saved? I want to hear what their answer is. Well, you know, you, you know, you have to be a good person and you start going through all of that. Then, then I would say, well, I'm not sure that is the definition of what a biblical evangelical, Bible-believing Christian is. Mm -hmm. uh, that forgiveness part, though, what I was trying to say is so very important because I'll ask, that would be the first question I usually ask. Well, so um, what must you do to be saved? And they'll tell me what they, you know, a variety of different answers, but it's usually based on what it is that I do. And, uh, and then I'll quote Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is the gift of God not by works, lest any man should boast. Well, then oftentimes that person who is claiming to be a Christian wants to go over to James 2.20. Well, what about James 2.20? They'll say, faith without works is dead. Well, right there, that tells me they're not understanding what justification by faith alone means in Romans chapter five. They're confusing justification with sanctification. And I would have a problem with that, Marty, because uh, that person does not know that their sins are forgiven, then they're basing it on what they do, not based on what Jesus did. As Christians, we believe that there's nothing we do that can save us from the wrath of God. It's what Jesus did. He imputes his righteousness into our account. The imputation is basically crediting into somebody's account, account uh, what you didn't earn. If somebody else earned it and gave it to you. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, by grace through faith. And it says, not by works. Why? Because lest any man should boast. I did this. I did that. I was able to accomplish all the things that God intended for me. 
No, you didn't because nobody can do all that is commanded to be holy as he is holy. Only Jesus could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, I had the thought while you were talking how going into a Latter-day, like it would be hard, I think, to teach the lessons if someone had the belief like you and they were expected to teach out of the correlation manual. Cause that's actually what happened to me where I started to feel dishonest as I was very uncertain about certain things, but the manual like teaches it in a very certain way. Like, right. it, so it's, um, yeah, that, so that would be kind of hard to do that. I can see. I was wondering, we've been talking about biblical Christianity. What, what defines, what are the differences, I guess? So I get, actually, can, if you can let me try to explain it and you tell me if I got it right, because I was okay. trying to understand in your book. Mm-hmm. So one of the, I'm not sure how to, one's peripher, peripheral, right? Per, mm, sorry, I'm terrible at speaking. <laughs> uh, things that don't matter. What are those? What did you call those? Per, uh, things like the peripheral issues? Yes. So there's those, and then there's the ones that matter. So the ones Essential that matter, issues. Is, yeah. Okay, essential. So the one, the essential issues would be that you believe in the Trinity, essentially, that you believe in the right. Uh, the nature uh, of God, the who nature God, of God really is. Yeah. yeah. We, we want to worship God as he is, not who he is not. Mm-hmm. And then um, that you accept, that you accept Jesus Christ as your savior. Is that like another well, one? Mormons would say the same thing. What does that mean? Jesus Christ is my savior. Well, I think it first starts with his nature, just like God's nature. Uh-huh. Jesus, according to the Bible, is fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. He is uh, both 100% of each. Uh, where the Trinity says there are three who's, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and one God, uh, one essence of who God is, three different persons, the, the, uh, the, the hypostatic union mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we believe as, as Christians is that Jesus is fully God, fully man, the two what's and the one who. Within one man, there were two different natures, 100%. He wasn't 50% of each. So it starts with that. Is he God in the flesh? Well, the Bible talks about that in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It goes on in verse 14 and says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So obviously, the Logos, uh, the word in the Greek uh, used in John 1, the Logos, uh, is incarnated and has become man. And how that happened, that's a mystery. But how God could become man, well, that was through the virgin birth. There's another difference between what Mormonism teaches and Christianity as far as what the virgin birth is all about. Uh, Matthew 1.18 talks about through the, uh, through the Holy Ghost, not in a, a physical manner, but Mormonism has taught very clearly that Heavenly Father and Mary came together to be able to produce Jesus. That's contrary to the, to the Bible. So uh, yeah, as far as who Jesus is and being my savior, you have to first know who he is mm-hmm. to be able to make him properly your savior. And then the question I ask is, well, if you claim that Jesus is your savior, what has he saved you from? Oftentimes I'll get Latter-day Saints talk to me about the atonement and the grace and all of us get resurrected to one of three uh, uh, kingdoms of glory. We all get that. It's not nothing really special. It's everybody gets it. But Mm -hmm. true. And you'll see this as you read more in the book in chapter seven or eight when I talk about uh, um, exaltation and eternal life. Uh, Mormonism teaches that's Godhood, being on the in the celestial kingdom realm with your family forever. 
uh, that that's true salvation. Well, how do you do that? Well, Doctrine and Covenants section one is cited all the time. For I, the Lord, cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. Nevertheless, he that repents and does the commandments of the Lord shall be forgiven. So it's very clear. Grace plus work. Second Nephi 25, 23. We're saved by grace. How? After all we can do. That's not grace according to the Bible. So, so we're talking about a different Jesus there. Uh, that's a long way to answer you there. But to be able to say Jesus is my savior, I think if you don't have the right version of Jesus and misunderstand the things that I'm talking about here, then I don't think we're talking about the, the, the correct version of Jesus. Second Corinthians 11.4 says it's possible to have a wrong version of Jesus. Everybody has Jesus. Muslims believe that Jesus is one of the great prophets of God. Peace be upon him, the, the faithful Muslim will say. Hare Krishna devotees will say God is a great guru. They believe that, or excuse me, Jesus is a great guru. They believe in Jesus. Uh, every religion has a place for Jesus, but is it the true Jesus? Is mm -hmm. he God in the flesh who came and died for sins and it's through faith in him that gives you the forgiveness of sins? That's the basic gospel story that we as Christians are trying to let people know about. I guess I was just trying to emphasize that it's not just that you need to understand the nature of God or believe in the nature of God the way that the Bible teaches, but also that you isn't there kind of a step you have to take where you, um, I don't know, like, isn't there like a moment where you... Or you, or, or yeah. there, does there not well, have to be a moment? There was a guy named Billy Graham. Uh, maybe you're familiar with Billy Graham. He used I've to heard his crusades. name. But I'm not sure yeah, he, he was an evangelical preacher. He he um, he followed a guy named Billy Sunday. Go, you can go Google those names, and you can read all about these guys. And he would go to stadiums full of people. I I twice uh, I had a chance to see Billy Graham uh, preach, and his was a message of repentance and and forgiveness and very good uh well liked throughout the world he's spoken he's spoken in china and other places like that he had audiences all over the world very probably considered to be one of the 20th century's most important christian uh evangelical christian uh billy graham uh, used to have altar calls after his sermon where he would invite people to come down and i i was at these events 1976 he came to san diego and i went to two or three of his crusade nights. And then in the 1990s, he, he did it again in San Diego. I went to those. I had a chance to, to, to experience that. And we're talking 50,000 people in the stands and there would be several thousand who would go out in the field. There'd be counselors down there. And then he would lead them in a prayer. called It's called the sinner's prayer. Well, he would make it very clear, saying this prayer doesn't make you a Christian. If you believe you're already a Christian, but to solidify that, let's pray together. And, and ask Jesus into your heart. And so that would be maybe what you're referring to. Mm. I don't think that prayer is what makes you the Christian. I think when you pray that, you have already are a Christian because it's based on, on your faith. I just had a young man. I teach a seminary class for high school students here in Utah, mm -hmm. right across the street from a public high school here in Sandy. And um, and he came up to me after. He, he grew up in the Mormon church, and he was coming to our seminary. And, and he says, uh, um, what do I have to do to get forgiveness of sins? I said, do you believe that Jesus, and I, I went through kind of what we talked about here. Do you believe Jesus has forgiven you of your sins? Yes, I do. I said, my friend, you are a Christian. You are a believer. He says, I am. I mean, that's all there is. I mm -hmm. said, well, I tell you what, let's pray. When we prayed together and I had him repeat after me, but I said, I want you to be very clear in understanding that 
you're saying this prayer isn't what you did to become a Christian. It's just a solidification of that. And uh, this student has been a real pleasure to teach. This, this just happened a few months ago, and he's there every, we do it only once a week uh, at this uh, church across the from where the school is and uh, he's there every week and thirsty for wanting to understand very sharp kid and so he's having to deal with his family who don't like the fact that he no longer goes to church with them and and that he's reading his bible and these other things that um just flabbergast them and so trying to understand where he's coming from but he he says i have found true peace he's only 16 years old but he says i have now found true peace well, that's what the Bible does. That's what Jesus does to people. He gives them true peace that it's no longer the onus is no longer on my back. How much do I have to do? It's based on what Jesus did. That's every other religion, Marty, in the entire world. I've studied lots of them and they're all about what do I have to do? And in Islam, it's the five pillars of faith. You have to you have to do a Hajj and pray five times a day, say the Shahada. There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his messenger. Salat pain. Two and a half percent of all you. I mean, you have to do these things, and it's based on having more good works than bad. It's like a scale. Uh, how in uh, Buddhism, it's based on how much meditation to get to nirvana. You're gonna, you got to do, do, do. It's based on asking the question, "What do I have to do for God or that higher power?" But Christianity, Marty, asks a much different question. It's not based on what we do. The question we ask is, "What did God do for me?" Well, the Bible says in John three sixteen, "For God so loved the world." that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the gospel in a nutshell, in one verse. Do you, do you find that um, it's a temptation for Christians to become complacent because they know that once they say they're, once they realize that they're saved, that they can be saved? Yes, that is a danger. Grace has ramifications. And if you misunderstand what grace is, I can see that being a problem. I think a lot of Latter-day Saints look at evangelical Christians and say, oh, all you have to do is say that little prayer at, at the Billy Graham crusade and you can go out and commit murder and adultery. No, why would we do that? Why would we want to do that when Jesus has done so much? Marty, I liken it to a 16-year-old boy who uh, had his uh, birthday party and everybody's there at the birthday party and there's this uh, uh, grandfather, his grandfather is there and he gives him a card and he says in the card, dear grandson, I love you so much. Here's 10 for your birthday that I put into the bank and uh, happy birthday, love grandpa. And what is a typical 16 year old gonna do with that? What a cheapskate. Oh, thanks grandpa, sure, appreciate that $10. And he, he you know, tosses the card. But it's a few weeks later, he's driving around in the car that his parents gave him for his birthday. And he doesn't have any gas, but he knows he has $10 at the bank. He's never really used that ATM card, but he's going to go to the bank anyway. He goes there, hands his card to the teller, and uh, and she takes it, slides it through, pushes some numbers, hands him a $10 bill and the receipt. He's walking out of the out of this uh, 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 bank, and all of a sudden he looks at the receipt. He gets really upset, and he says, how dare she? He runs back in, knocks the next customer in line out of the way, and he says, how dare you do that? That was wrong of you. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. She said, you know, what's your problem? And he says, my problem is this. You put on there that I have $9,999,990 in my account. Why did you do that? She says, because you had $10 million and you took out $10. That's what you have left. 
And what's his reaction going to be? He he kind of had disdain for his grandfather before because he thought he was a cheapskate. All of a sudden he realized that 10 didn't mean $10. It was $10 million. Is he going to be in, in disfavor with his grandfather for this? Or is he going to want to he won't at least hopefully write a thank you note. Well, I bet he goes over to his grandfather's house, drives over there, gets his gas, drives over to his grandpa's house and gives his grandpa a hug. And he says, Grandpa, thank you so much. Because he realized to get $10 million. And that's very similar to the way that we as Christians believe. We, we have this gratitude. And when we see that grandfather's grass is six inches high and we say, Grandpa, what happened with the grass? And he says, well, I had to fire the gardener because I sold everything except for this house to give you that money. Well, I'm going to go out and mow that grass. I'm going to, what do you need me to do, grandpa? I'm here for you, man. Because we like to do something back for somebody who's given us something. If somebody gives me a Christmas gift, I'm going to go home and find that gift card I haven't used and give it back to them because it's kind of a tit for tat. We, we, you know, as humans, we kind of have that, but God doesn't operate that way. At the same time, he wants us to have a joy in being able to serve him. And so if that boy does that mowing, he feels pretty good about himself. And if he does that every week for a year, he mows the grass, he, he uh, shovels the walk. A year later, he comes back to his grandfather and says, I'm all paid up. Well, he didn't understand. Grandpa says, you don't understand. It wasn't a wage I gave you. I wasn't giving you a $10 million advance. I gave you that money as a gift. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you wanted to serve me, but I'm, you weren't. if you thought you were trying to earn my favor, no, I already have given it to you. And that's the way it is with Christianity. So I do things as a result of who I am and who mm -hmm. I am has a direct effect on what I do. Okay. So um, thank you for answering that. The other, um, the other thing essential would be that the Bible is the authority, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So do you need to believe that the miracles, um, do you need to believe the miracles were like external from God or can you believe in like a natural ex explanation of the miracles? I don't think that's a, um, a, a clear-cut essential or peripheral issue. I think if you're going to understand that Jesus did do miracles, that miracles do take place in the, in the Bible, um, I, I just think it's a natural, um, I, I, it comes naturally. I don't know too many people who call themselves Christians who don't believe in miracles. Uh, people who don't believe in miracles, uh, in the old days, we called them rationalists. Thomas Jefferson, for instance, mm -hmm. the third president of the United States, was a deist. Uh, what does that mean? Well, it means that he accepted reason and anything that went outside of his reason, he rejected. Miracles go beyond his reason. He can't understand them. So he actually, I have it in my library right behind me here, uh, the Jefferson Bible. He actually took the Gospels and he used a pair of scissors and he cut out the parts he didn't like. Guess what he cut out? The miracles. And uh, and so you know how he ends his book, the, the Jefferson uh, Bible? Mm -hmm. It it was in John chapter 19, and then they laid him in a tomb. Well, what kind of hope is that? You know, the idea that miracles don't exist, that because I can't understand them. There are certain things I can't understand. Nobody can understand. Latter-day Saints, nor I can understand eternity. God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's always been God. That eternity goes back into an infinite past. How does that work? You know, how, how did, how did, uh, how did that operate? Where did God come from? You know, those kinds of questions. We, it's a mystery uh, for us. We don't quite grasp that. So that's kind of how I would answer that.
So what about uh, the Old Testament? Like, could you believe that those are parables or is that an essential belief that they really happened? Well, uh, you do have people who are going to try to allegorize some of the things. Oh, sorry, that not place. parables is the wrong word, but yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, uh, the events like, for instance, uh, did Jonah really get swallowed by a whale? Mm-hmm. Uh, did, uh, um, uh, was it really an ark? What was it? And so you have, you have different viewpoints uh, because we don't have a lot of stuff to go on, you know, as far as did, did a man get swallowed by a whale? Did he live there four days and come out? How does that exactly work? I believe it to be a true story. You know why? Because Jesus told the story. Jesus talked mm-hmm. about as, as, as Jonah was in the well for three days. So will he, he was pr- prophesying the three days that he would be, uh, um, in the tomb. And, uh, and so I don't have a problem with that. As far as the ark, I, you know, people d- debate, was that a local flood or a, um, or a, um, worldwide f- flood? How old is the earth? That's one that yeah, I think those are peripheral is, issues. I, I really do, because okay. I think there are good Christians who believe that, uh, the earth is billions of years old. And I think there are good Christians who believe it's 6,000 years old. I don't think God's going to say, oh, you're going to hell because you didn't accept the right view. Those mm-hmm. are the kinds of things I'm talking about where, you know, you can have disagreements. I think you can't have both be true. So I think it's a great in-house debate for Christians to talk about, okay, is the earth young or old? And there are some who definitely hold the young and others who are definitely going to hold the old. But I think at the end of the day, again, we can walk away and say, I disagree with you, but you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. You believe in God, in the God of the Bible. You you believe that salvation comes by grace through faith. We're fellow believers in Christ. Oh, I'm, I'm going to do a sidestep here because that reminds yeah. me of a, a quote that you had. Uh, in, the, in your book, you quote, this is a this is a quote from your book. You said, "Unity in the body of Christ should be preserved despite our differences in these secondary arenas." And so, I guess my question was, do you feel that same way, like that there should be unity in the body of theists to preserve, to be preserved despite their differences, like with Latter Day Saints? Do you know what I mean? Like, you say theist, it- theist, or mm-hmm. okay, so people, well, theist would be a person who believes in God across a spectrum. I mean, right. I, so, so I'm just a, taking that up a level. So like in the same way that you believe that there should be unity in the body of Christ should be preserved. So like you shouldn't fight with your body of Christ right? so that you can preserve despite your, um, despite your differences in these secondary arenas. I think so I we, was, yeah. I, I think Marty, what we can do is come to a table of, uh, of discussion and not call each other names. We were talking about that earlier. I want to listen to what a person has. I want to meet them where they're at. I I want to influence truth, and I'm going to do my best to explain it in a way that will make sense to somebody. And somebody might walk away and say, I disagree. I'm fine with that. But as long as we have done that, let the best idea win. I think that's. I think that needs to be allowed uh, in, in a discussion, and mm-hmm. we call it a debate. I don't like to use the term debate because it sounds like we're shouting down each other. I don't think we have to shout down each other in a debate to agree on the idea that one of us is wrong, maybe both of us are wrong. But what what do you have that would help me to understand yours as being true? And let me tell you what I have. I think that's where we can meet. Yeah, I guess um, when I read that quote, I was, it sounded like you were saying, like, we need to have unity here, despite our differences. And so I guess I was just wondering if you feel that same way. I I guess I see it happening already. And I just wonder if you are okay with that happening. But when, 
um, you see different theists uh, kind of rallying together. Like, for example, I see William Lake Craig maybe use a defense about theism that came from uh, uh, Islam. Or some, well, yeah, he uses Islam. the Kalam cosmological argument, and that's a really strong argument. He does a really good job. He actually wrote a tiny little book called The Kalam Cosmological Argument. It's from the 13th right. century, and what it says is that um, uh, that time cannot be uh, going on for eternity. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that begins to exist has a cause, is the first mm-hmm. premise. The universe began to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. I think that's very uh, simple, straightforward, and I think mm-hmm. it can be easily defended. William Lane Craig does it much better than I do. And then the atheist, the person who disagrees with me says, well, who created God? I, notice what I said. Everything that begins to exist has a cause. God did not begin to exist, therefore the universe has a cause. And they say, prove that. Well, I can't prove it in the sense of empirical evidence. I can't show you God in that sense. However, I can show you what the Bible teaches from everlasting to everlasting. Thou art God, Psalm 90, verse two. And actually, he's never changed. Malachi 3, 6 says God has not changed. He's not a man. And even Moroni 8, 8, um, Moroni 8, 18, the last book in the Book of Mormon even agrees that God is an unchangeable being which is different because what Joseph Smith wrote in 1830, he changed his mind later and he claimed that God has a body of flesh and bones who once lived in a previous world. That's opposite of what Moroni 8.18 says, that God is an unchangeable being. So I can actually use LDS scripture to say that even disagrees with what current Mormon theology teaches. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess um, like one of the things that stood out to me in your book is uh, you were talking to Dave. I don't know if Dave was his real name, but um, you kind of got after Dave for using Bart Ehrman as yeah. as a as a resource because because he doesn't even believe the um, in Christianity anymore. And I was just noticing kind of the same thing, like when you use Janerys. Not that Janerys isn't a Latter Day Saint, but <clears throat> in a similar way that you would like she she's definitely uh um i don't know how to word it from what i understand she's very critical of the church and so sure well i I, if you want to say the difference between jana reese and uh, bart ehrman bart ehrman comes across he he has a doctorate he's a very studied man i disagree with his conclusions uh it's interesting because he uh he studied under a bible scholar in princeton university and uh, bruce metzger who's a outstanding uh, uh, textual critic for the Bible. Uh, he studied under him, but he went to uh, evangelical schools, Moody and, and uh, Wheaton, and uh, he just ended up becoming an atheist. But a lot of what Bart Ehrman teaches today has been discredited by other uh, teachers, uh, doctors uh, who have who have shown where what he's not accurate. So, for instance, he's famous for saying, and I talk about this in my book, like 400,000 textual variants. Well, that's I mean, there's only like 150,000 words in the entire Bible. And and yet he's saying there's 400,000 variants. So every time there's a manuscript and it has that same variant, there might be 30 manuscripts with the same variant. He counts that 30 times one variant. And that's where he comes up with that. I think that's uh, I think that's unfair to to mm-hmm. use that that number 400,000. I think when you take a look at the uh, the way that the Bible was transmitted, there have been very smart 
doctorates who have uh, very well shown how our uh, 5,000 plus Greek manuscripts, the Old Testament, we have uh, Dead Sea Scrolls and other, uh, other evidences to help us understand that the Bible we have today is for the most part, uh, certainly there's a few blips and scratches, but for the most part is really accurate for what was originally written. So I would have a problem with Bart Ehrman in his, in his declaration that the Bible can't be trusted and his criticism of biblical Christianity. Jana Reese, I'm critical of her too. In fact, we do a lot of shows on uh, our uh, podcast uh, um, on uh, our, our website, but uh, I, I would say um, the book that I cite, I cite it because it's scholarly work. She did it through Oxford. They did uh, statistics. It's not theological. I, I agree with her on. Okay, is, well, is Bart are, Ehrman's? Or, I don't know. Is is Bart, his work scholarly as well? Oh yeah, it's scholarly. I, I but just because it's scholarly doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. Certainly, he's a PhD and he's done scholarly work. Other PhDs have done other scholarly work and they disagree with each other. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I classify him as a scholar. Um, I don't know if I would call Jana Reed. She's a sociology. So she's not dealing with what I'm talking mm -hmm. about here with biblical text. But she is a sociologist who, as far as I can tell from well, her I think, research, I think, she did a good job. Yeah, she was doing statistics and stuff. And yeah, right. I so think. I think she did a good job. I'll quote her. I mm -hmm. disagree vehemently with her progressive uh, uh, doctrine that she believes. You're right. But uh, what's happening too, Marty, is I think the church is trying to find out. Uh, they're very public relations oriented. They've mm -hmm. lost a lot of people, I think, in the last few years. They don't want to tick off either side. So they, they, they're building these temples and, you know, trying to be very traditional in that sense. And in other senses, it feels like uh, they're trying to, you know, reach out an olive branch to some of the progressives. They don't, Gen Z's, I mean, um, uh, you know, they're trying to deal with the issues that their, their congregants have in, in uh, uh, the Gen Z generation, uh, trying to get them to go on missions and hoping that those two years or a year and a half will change uh, the way that they think. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some questions about the Bible. Um, like you, you, you talked about the authority of the Bible and, uh, after cause growing up, the scriptures had the authority, uh, the church had the authority essentially and the, and the, and the most modern leaders had the authority. And so this idea that the Bible has the authority is like, when I started thinking about it, I have a hard time understanding, like, how do you know that the consensus that was formed is is that is God? Like, how do you know that that was the special? That's um, a good question, and that's been asked a lot of times by people. And so you have to go back and look at the transmission of the text, and you have to go back to the historical perspective, and those two go together. Back in the, uh, I mean. The, well, I guess what, the what assumptions do you have to make? I don't think you have to make any assumption. I, I just the assumption that if there is a God, wouldn't he want to speak to us? And if you believe in Jesus and you believe in Paul, I mean, Paul's the one who said all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for mm -hmm. teaching, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God might be equipped to do every good work that, I mean, so if you believe what, you know, that was talking about the Old Testament, but mm -hmm. uh, in Second Peter three sixteen, Peter calls Paul's work scripture. 
Well, Peter was the chief apostle. So that has to have some kind of weight behind it. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the idea that Jesus's words were written down, the acts, uh, the early church's words were written down. And you have uh, the doctrine that's written down by Paul and Peter and John and Jude. I mean, uh, Luke, these are all important people uh, in, in uh, writing down these words. And so that tradition uh, continued on in the in the second century, they were writing, they were copying out of these letters. And uh, you had Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each write their own gospel. And so these were being kept. They, we have pieces of uh, John, for instance, going back to 125 AD within the lifetime of an apostle of the apostle. Uh, Polycarp was an apostle of John, the, the apostle who didn't die until around 100 AD. He was the last remaining um, apostle. So that has to have some weight. We have, we have full New Testament books going back to the fourth century and nothing that is shown before to contradict that. And meanwhile, you have the early church re, uh, uh, writers who were copying down the Bible word for word. I, I've heard different things said, but I've heard it said from the writings of the early church fathers from the first 300 years, you can get the entire New Testament except for maybe seven or eight verses. That's pretty powerful. They're, they're copying it because it meant that much. And they're coming up with what's called the canon. Canon means straight or read. This is the uh, grouping of uh, books of the Bible. And who, for the most who part, is the like the monks writing it down? The church fathers. Uh, okay. You got you got a number of different people in the church history who were who were kind of the leaders of the church back in the second and third and fourth centuries, right. and, and names that I could name, but you know you probably haven't heard of. But I mean, th these are people that were uh, the authorities at their time, and, and they were saying these are the books of the Bible. A lot of people think the Council of Nicaea in 325 had to do with which books of the Bible were accepted, it has nothing to do with that. The, the main issue in 325 was determining whether Jesus was a created being or whether he was God in the flesh. That was the main purpose of that. Not the Trinity, not the, the, the canon, but the canon still played a role. So, it was in 354, Athanasius writes down the 27 books of the New Testament. By the way, the Old Testament books were accepted in the first century, a Jewish uh, Jewish uh, uh, leaders got together and came up with what we have as our 39 books. They actually had 22, but they weren't separated like ours are. So, mm -hmm. so we have no qualms about the 39 books. We don't accept the um, uh, the Apocrypha, the the right. 15 books of the Apocrypha. Neither do the neither do uh, the Mormons uh, accept that either. But but we so we already had the Old Testament canon. But for the New Testament. There's a there's a tracing through going starting with the second century and and ending finally in 397 at the Council of Carthage, uh, where they they put their stamp of approval. Those are the 27 books. They debated them, which mm -hmm. was healthy. They uh, mm -hmm. there were some who did not like uh, um, second and third John. Some didn't like James. That was an issue. Is this really uh, biblical or not? Should this be considered canon? Uh, but they wanted to authenticate. Did that man who wrote that was he uh an apostle that was so important uh you don't have any books in the new testament that would have been written by a non-apostle which takes care of all of the gnostic gospels like the gospel of thomas and barnabas and other there's all kinds of of pseudepigraphic called uh 
We don't accept those because they weren't written by by uh, um, a true apostle. These these are words that um, were written by the followers of Jesus, and they were accepted. I don't have all the information at the tip of my tongue, but um, there's one book called. Um, Oh, it's written by Norman Geisler. I could come up with the name and it's a good book. Uh, you know, a really good book on that too is maybe you've heard of Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Uh, he was a he was a Chicago Tribune journalist who was an atheist, became a Christian based on his study, trying to refute his wife who had become a Christian. Uh, uh, and and uh, so he, he ends up uh, uh, interviewing people that were scholars and he talks about how the Bible came in his book, The, the Case for Christ, talks about uh, that case. The first, uh, but the first seven chapters of his book deal with the authority of the Bible and why it's accepted. So he talks about this issue, easy read. It's written in a journalistic fun style uh, back and forth. In fact, some of what I have done in my book is very similar kind yeah. of copying the, his style that, uh, you know, he, he, but he uses real names of the scholars that he's talking to. Uh, you mentioned William Lane Craig. He was one of those scholars. I, I think when you study it out, uh, there's good reasons for us to accept the 27 books of the New Testament for being those books, not the uh, Gospel of Thomas. And, uh, and yeah, there's debate with scholars, but I think there can only be one conclusion. And my conclusion is it is the word of God is trustworthy and can be accepted as true. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, would you have to make the assumption that like when they had those councils that they were directed by God in some way? Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to be important. And so what you did, let me just tell you, the Council of Nicaea, there was a guy named Athanasius who wanted to respond to a guy named Arius. Arius uh, had a belief that Jesus was a created being. He was human, but he was not God. In fact, very similar to today's Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses hold that Jesus is God, but they don't, or excuse me, that he's man, but they don't hold that he is God. Very mm -hmm. similar to that. And so what uh, um, the, the emperor who became a Christian in 318 uh, wanted to do, he, he was scared of having his empire, his Roman empire split. So he gets 300 plus bishops together from both the east and the west and they met in a place called nicaea which is in turkey i i visit i just was there a year ago in october um it, it's a it's a little tiny town hardly anybody goes there but it's a real place where these bishops met and they debated the issue now back mm -hmm. in those days they didn't have internet they didn't have the ability to quite know what the other side was saying so What's the best way to do that? They'd get a council and they debate the issue. And they did for several months. But uh, the first time that it was uh, brought out, Arius gives his talk with Alexander, a guy named Alexander. <coughs> and um, when, he get, when he explains his view, there were bishops who had their fingers in their ears and they were going, nah, 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 nah. I'm just getting this from church historians. And they didn't want to hear it because it was blasphemous. They didn't realize that's really what Arius was teaching, that Jesus was not God. Well, then the question is, is Jesus God or is he not God? He can't be both. He can't be God and non-God at the same time. We need to figure this out. So they went to the Bible to try to determine. And they took a look at John chapter 1. They took a look at John 8, 58, where Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. They take a look at John 20, 28, which says, Thomas calls Jesus my Lord and my God. They take a look at Colossians 2, 9, the fullness of deity lives in Jesus. So many verses, I'm just quoting a few, mm -hmm. that very clearly show that Jesus is God. And so they determined there at that council, I believe godly men who 
were wanting the right doctrine Mm -hmm. they just they said this jesus is god and so you have creeds that come out of it a creed is basically a restatement of what you believe so there's what's called the apostles creed that's a a a creed that many christians say every week or or the apostles or excuse me the nicene creed which comes out of the council of nicaea but that could possibly cause more problems because okay you say there's one god and god the father is god but you're saying Jesus is God. How can there be one God? Well, that had to be dealt with again. In 381, they had a council, the Council of Constantinople. Constantinople today is Istanbul in Turkey. And they had a discussion there. And they came out with the creed, the creed of Constantinople, which not only talked about Jesus being God, but talked about the Holy Spirit being God and how they are one God. And so if you mm-hmm. want to say something dealt with the Trinity, but I believe the Trinity came in the first century when the Bible was written, because we have to ask the question, how can Jesus say in Mark chapter 12, uh, when he's asked, what's the greatest of the commandments? He cites out of Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is Achad, is one. That's that's first thing he says when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? But then he quotes verse 5, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he adds one, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That sums up the whole uh, the whole Bible, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so here, Jesus um, uh, says there is one God, and yet he claims to be God. He says so when he says, ego e me, I am. The Jews understood, the Jewish leaders understood that he was calling himself God. You, a mere man, claim to be God. And, uh, and, um, and so this is when Thomas says, my Lord and my God in John 20, 28, when Thomas feels him and touches him, uh, I would think that Jesus would have wanted to clear up blasphemy if he was using the Lord's name in vain. My Lord and my God, is he cussing or, or is he saying, as Jehovah's Witnesses have told me, my Lord and my God? No, in the context, he's talking to the same person and Jesus commends him in verse 29. He says, blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen and believe, but more blessed are those who don't see and believe. Jesus really claimed that idea that he was God in the flesh. And yet he wasn't claiming to be the father. He claimed they came from the same cloth, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says in John 10, 30, I and my father are one. He wasn't saying I am the father. He's just saying we're one in essence. So the father is God. The son is God. The Holy Spirit is God but they're not each other. So Jesus has the ability to pray to his father in the garden of Gethsemane. Um, he, yeah. he prays there and uh, at the a beautiful illustration at the baptism where, where the, the voice from heaven, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. There's Jesus standing there. And then a dove comes down and lands on him. And uh, there's the Holy spirit represented all three, three separate persons, three who's so to speak. And one, what, and, uh, I do have a section in the book on the Trinity because a whole chapter, actually, because I realized that that's that's really it's it's impossible to understand. You can't comprehend it. But I believe God is incomprehensible. Yes, he's he's transcendent. uh, But but and um, he's he's above our thoughts, but he's imminent. He's he's among us right now. And, And so while I may not fully grasp everything that God is, I believe that that is truth about who God is. And so I believe mm-hmm. that the Father is God. I believe Jesus was God. And I believe the Spirit is God as well. And mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, so I don't think when you ask who came up with that, these are faithful Christians trying to make sense 
and put it on the table, the inference to the best explanation. Let's try to understand, is Jesus God or is he not God? Mm -hmm. Well, he is God. Okay, well, what do we do with that? How do we, how do we explain that? And that's where the mystery of the Trinity comes. A couple of thoughts. One thing is that like, I, I became a lot, I'm actually comfortable with people saying, I don't quite understand God. That seems a little bit better to me than defining him so clearly that it's easily like, looked at weird. I don't know. Why aren't there like more councils still happening? Like I, how, I guess I'm, I'm still not understanding. Um, like obviously Christians that were living, um, you know, fourth century, they're, they're not, are they not the same kind of Christians as you? Like, I, I guess I am having a hard time understanding like how the Bible has authority when like there were people that didn't have the Bible the, the whole, you know what I, I, I guess. And then, and then if that's the case, like why, what happened uh, at the last council that made it so that you couldn't do that anymore? Um, yeah. Like what are the, yeah. What are you yeah, well, saying about that? Marty, if it was a perfect world, yeah, we'd all be sitting at the table, but why don't Democrats and Republicans sit together <laughs> and discuss uh, important issues that involve this nation? They don't. They, they have their agenda and they're going to go with it. And that's human nature. You're going to try to keep the power. You're going to not really want to compromise. And I'm going to say perhaps the same kind of happened within Christianity, because in the early days, uh, uh, they were more willing to, because there wasn't this faction of you know the east versus the west there was uh, there was to a point yeah uh, a lot of the east guys didn't like the west guys and and vice mm -hmm. versa but it wasn't until um uh the 11th century that there was a split between the western and the eastern churches so before that time they were having councils i believe they had councils i i i, I don't know all the councils i i mean there's certain councils that evangelical christians will accept and then there's a certain time after that where we go okay uh, there's some things that we're being taught. I, I don't. I don't think that's biblical. But, but 11th century they split. So you have no communication going on like Republicans and Democrats with the East and West Church. They don't really communicate with each other. Now within evangelical Christianity, I would say we do have sit-down sessions like that. They're not councils, but uh, and de denominations have those kinds of mm. uh, sessions. I'll give you one. Uh, as controversial as some might think they are, the Southern Baptists, every year they have a conference and boy, it's a lot of fire going on because they disagree with each other, but they, they try to meet and they try to discuss through the issues and, and explain where, where's our denomination going. And I think that can be very healthy. It can be negative too if, well, I'm going to leave that denomination because I disagree with that. And that's happened too, split offs from the Southern Baptists, and I'm not saying the Southern Baptists are perfect, but uh, I mean, they are an evangelical group of uh, Christians. And so they do have this back and forth, which is healthy. But I mean, a lot of denominations would not want to get together for this, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? Lutherans and, and, uh, and the Episcopalians and the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the Baptists, we're going to get together and do what? We're just, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're, we can agree on some things, but there's a lot of things that we're not going to agree on. And so how productive is that going to be? So mm -hmm. I, I just think that these are different times. Uh, and, um, Maybe I'm not saying life was simpler back then, but in a sense it was. And so we have all these different categories today. And so we don't have a unified church body. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say we have, we, we do have differences between the West and the East 
still not understanding why the books that are were decided as canon were decided as canon. Like, how did they decide oh, what was canon? Yeah, well, th they had to do several things. They number one it had to be written by an apostle. Second, it had to. Um, it had to proclaim the gospel truths, and uh -huh. so uh, and every book was written for certain purposes. I mean, James wrote his to a people who believed that um, all you had to do is just basically say a little prayer, and it didn't matter what you did. He goes, "No, that's not true. Hmm. You can't be a faith Christian, a works Christian. You have to be a faith works Christian." Uh, you know, and so that was his purpose. Paul writes to the Galatians. He wants to deal with this heresy uh, that was being propounded by the uh, the Judaizers that said that you had to be uh, circumcised and follow the dietary law. So that was his purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul writes to the Ephesians to deal with some of their issues. The Corinthians, first Corinthians, a lot of the issues had to do with uh, living issues. Like for instance, what do we do with uh, in first Corinthians five, this man, uh, this, this man has taken his stepmom and having sex with her. I mean, that's what that's what it was. And, and he says, and you guys are proud of it. Expel the sexually immoral brother, he says. And uh, and so he deals with that in First Corinthians. Then in his next book, Second Corinthians, in chapter two, he says, remember that guy that I told you to toss out and you did? What happened? Well, the guy came back into the church. He or he wanted to come back in the church, but they weren't letting him because, well, you're an adulterer. You're not coming back in. He says, what was the purpose of the discipline? The purpose was to bring him back in. Let the man back in now that he has repented of what he was doing as hmm. wrong. And so, I mean, so you have these different books all have all these different purposes. And so it doesn't mean that every book has to have uh, the, the plan of salvation in its pages. It doesn't mean that they have to have uh, be, Jesus being declared as God in the flesh, not necessarily, but that it corresponds to what we know about who Jesus is. Mm -hmm. So when you put all those factors together, they were able to weed out some books that were written by people who used the names of apostles written well after. And we could find these out. You, they were written in the second or third centuries. Those aren't written by the apostles and those hmm. aren't going to be accepted or, or this book it says it was written by this person but it's teaching this uh see the gnostic heresy in the second century was very similar to what john wrote about in first john these were people who said that um jesus was uh, um he was god but he was not man and and john was very strong on that he says anybody who preaches that um that jesus uh is not man is of the antichrist very clear that that was the wrong teaching just as long as just as much as it's wrong to say that jesus is not god there it goes both ways and, and so those christians they put a lot of energy into this to try to determine what the books were and if anything they were the same 27 books it's just that they had doubts about a couple of them and they had to really go back and forth before they decided yes those are really authoritative books that we need to incl include in our canon. Do you think there were some, possibly some authoritative books that were not included? Like they erred on the side of, um, you know, for sure versus... No, one of the factors is they had to be accepted by those early Christians. And so, no. So, some people have also questioned, well, what happens if we're doing a dig like they did in 1945 in Nag Hammadi in Egypt, and they found these, uh, these Gnostic uh, Gospels. They found a whole horde of them. Oh, uh, you know, wow. Well, the thing is, 
they weren't included in the canon and they knew about those books, but they didn't include any of those. So no, those are not going to be considered. Let's say there were four letters written to the Corinthians. In fact, scholars call them 1 Corinthians A, B, C, and D. We only have two of them. Two of them were lost. Some have said, well, what if we're doing some digging and all of a sudden we find 1 Corinthians C? Would that be now be considered scripture? And the answer is no. It was not accepted for whatever reason. It was not written down and copied over and over again. We don't have one shred of evidence except for Paul saying, in my previous letter I wrote to you, and we have no letter. So obviously he had written a letter that no longer was kept. They apparently felt it was a personal letter that did not deserve to be uh, kept, but they, the ones that they felt needed to be kept, they were copying them over and over again and continuing that tradition. So no, I don't think, I don't think there is anything that was left out. Uh, and uh, there, okay. there, there should never be a time where we go, oh, this should be the 28th uh, uh, book of the New Testament. So I guess, I guess essentially then you feel like uh, God gave those early church fathers the authority to decide what the canon was. I, I do believe that God yeah. used his people, that uh, these were godly people. Uh, who were doing the best with what they had. And uh, I don't have any problems with the books that they included. I mean, okay. I, you know, James being a controversial book, I think James fits perfectly within an evangelical Christian mindset. Okay. Thanks for going through my curiosity here. Yeah, no, I, I had an experience where I listened to the Bible um, right after, and I couldn't, I honestly, I don't, I've, I've been told by Christians that I have a religious trauma or something, but oh. I, I, when I was reading it, I couldn't help, but see, I, I couldn't help, but see the same kind of pattern that I was seeing, like, um, being burned. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and, and I guess if someone's going to, um, if someone's going to become interested in Christianity, uh, how would you recommend that they read the Bible? Oh, that would be the first thing. Read the Bible. Um, well, reading uh, it wasn't enough for me, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I'm reading it and I'm going, this sounds to me like some, I, you're selling me something. Like, yeah. like are a, you reading it in a modern translation or are you still using the King James? I can't, I can't remember. It, no, it was a, it was an audio book. Okay. Or it was online. It was like on was YouTube it, and it was free. And yeah, so and, 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 it was in plain English. It was okay, like Bible Biblegateway.com is a great website. It has 50 or 75 versions of the Bible. Good versions, I will recommend to you. English Standard Version, New American Standard Bible, um, uh, New International Version. I mentioned that I studied under the guys who did that version. Uh, but What's I would the one say that would have been like a they converted it to how we talk today. Is that exactly English? that is that's is what a good standard? Bible translation will do. I don't think a lot of people realize the the King James version was originally published in 1611, right. but the version that is being used today by the LDS Church, uh, there were a bunch of changes. Uh, in 1769 was the last time they made those changes, and even today you can buy the new. Uh, a King James version that was translated in 1982. Mm -hmm. They get rid of the archaic language and there's nothing wrong with the King James, but I think for a lot of people to read that, it makes it very difficult because it's a different language. Yeah. yeah. And where you, where Almost. you get a good, a good Bible translation needs to communicate the way that we speak today. So language changes from, four, yeah. from 400 years ago. I think that uh, might have been my problem when I was reading it is because like, I can't, I can't, it's been like, it's been over a year since I, yeah. I, I got through the gospels 
And then I got, um, I got distracted. It's not like I stopped using, reading it for any particular reason. I just got distracted and did something else. But Marty, um, I tell you what I would do. Yeah. I would send you a copy of a book called Passport to Heaven. This is Micah Wilder who forwarded my book. He, he's. I thought you were talking about him earlier. Uh, oh, I've Adam heard about Micah and his mom. Like I've watched some videos. You have. About, I um, would love to have you read his book because he was a missionary in 2005 and he was trying to convert a Christian pastor, a Baptist pastor in Florida. And and so the pastor was very kind and listened to what Micah had to say. And I'm kind of giving it to you in a nutshell, but you got to read yeah. the whole story. But in, um, the pastor finally said, I disagree with you. I don't believe that what you're teaching is biblical truth. And Micah insisted, yes, it is. Uh-huh. You know, here's a 19 year old kid who's telling a 50 year old pastor, you know, what is uh, what the Bible teaches. And he had hardly read the Bible himself. And so the pastor said this to him. He says, you need to be like a little child and you need to read the Bible for what it is. You just need to read it. Uh, read the New Testament. And you know what Micah did for the rest of his mission? Instead of spending so much time on the Book of Mormon, he read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, he read, uh, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think he even read a modern translation. Uh, don't quote me on that. But but what he found out is that the Bible was teaching a much different gospel than what he was teaching people in his missionary lessons. And that bothered him. Mm-hmm. He ends up, long story short, becoming a Christian on his mission. It's not like some Christian came and made him say the sinner's prayer, but he gave his final talk a week before he's going to get released in good standing. And he talked about his relationship with Jesus. And after that was over, the mission president went up to him and said, how dare you? That's not what we believe. He says, I'm just saying what the Bible teaches. He says, that's not what we do. Then he ends up getting kicked out. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, the story is is fascinating. But he became a Christian, as I know many others, who started. You ask the first thing they ought to do. I, I say, read the Bible and the New Testament. I, read the book of John, 21 chapters. You can be done in three weeks, one chapter a day. It will take you less than five minutes to fully grasp the beautiful story of how Jesus tells people to believe in him. And uh, it's it's a very easy book to translate from the Greek because John wrote in a fifth grade level, if you will, whereas Luke wrote very complicated. Nothing wrong with Luke. I love Luke, but mm-hmm. but uh, read the book of John. And then, you know, re- read, read Romans, read Galatians and Ephesians, read some of these books. And I think, Marty, what you're going to find is this is not what the church teaches and uh, and um, how, how a person can. Oh, it's definitely different. Is. I had the realization that like Mormonism is to Christianity uh, that the same that Christianity is to Judaism. It's just, it's different. It's not the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I'm, um, I, I'm fully aware that it's uh-huh. not the same thing. Um, I guess I just struggle. <laughs> a, a lot of the reasons that, I, um, I, (laughs) I never, I never had like a spiritual witness. And so I, Uh. so that was, but that was fine. Cause I still had the church had my loyalty. Like I still believed it was true and everything. And I still did all the things, but I never, um, had what a lot of people consider like the undeniable experience. Yeah, Yeah. I never had that kind of experience. And so, um, as I was getting older and learning more, uh, I, I became, well, I, I like magic. And so I was watching, uh, Pendula and Teller 
And then I went down some like YouTube rabbit hole and I was watching some stuff about James Randi and how he would like debunk a bunch of people that were uh, like basically con men like and and stuff like that. And so um, at that point, I kind of like had hope in miracles that they happened every once in a while, even though I didn't see them in my own life. And then I guess after going down that rabbit hole, my belief, that's why I was kind of asking you like, does it have to be literal or can you have like a metaphorical belief? Cause that's just, if I'm being honest with myself, that's just how I see the world. I think I'm weird. I think I'm different than other people that way. <laughs> but I, I can tell you, I, 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 I can see per- that. I perfectly respect other people that yeah, sure. come to different conclusions than me. Right. I think um, that's why I kind of earlier was talking about different personalities. I kind of wonder if different personalities gravitate toward different things that are helpful for them. Or not helpful. Yeah, but, and, and um, I, I, I'm with you. I think you're open-minded. I appreciate that. You know that. You, okay, I may not have all the answers, but I'm open to hearing what what is out there. And I think that's uh, check out the marketplace of ideas. I think that's sure. certainly important. I I would never say don't listen to anybody else. Just follow what I'm going to tell you, and and, yeah. you know, and and bring in the difference of opinions in my classroom the students are allowed to ask questions that could embarrass me i want them to ask those questions that's cool and sometimes i'm going to say you know that's a good question i haven't thought of that one let me let me go back and find out the answer but i i I see that in you that okay i'm not really quite grasping all this mormonism stuff that i i belong to but i'm not quite getting this christianity thing either and uh, so your question, well, where do I start? I, I, I would start well, there. I, I would I would say that at this point, I've, I've become a nun is where I'm at. I'm kind of floating. <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't say that yeah. I, I am. We are friends of our Latter-day Saint friends. Like we have. Yeah. You were talking about people losing their friends and stuff. And I I have been uh, one of my biggest fears when I um, when we kind of had our collapse of belief was losing our our friends. And so I focused on that a lot. And I, I did a lot of thinking and problem solving on how I can maintain those friendships. And I feel like we've done a pretty good job. Like we, we still, we still hang out with the, the people in our neighborhood. And that's, that's, that, you know, that's good that you are, have been able to do that. Not everybody's been able to do that. Right. And I understand it's hard. It it can be hard for sure. But I've, I've really kind of leaned into that, like just kind of listening to people and trying to understand people. And sure. I feel like that is helpful. Well, I, I appreciate that about you, Marty. I, I, I can tell, I mean, you're wanting to understand you're not, you know, you're not trying to put anybody down on either side, me or Latter-day Saints or atheists sure. or whoever. And, and so I, I hear you listening a lot and I appreciate what we had talked about earlier that you have the two ears and okay, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to tell you, I believe there are answers uh, if and uh, you might disagree with my conclusions, but I think that truth is knowable. I don't think I don't think we've been put here to wander around in a mire. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, what is right? What is wrong? I mean, I, I think I think, you know, and I, I, I mentioned an argument for God, the moral argument. C.S. Lewis deals with this in his book, Mere Christianity. And that would I've be a that book. one. You've read it. Didn't it didn't you, you didn't well. like it? Okay, well that I loved then, I loved C.S. Lewis when I was a practicing Latter Day Saint, and then I was like, well, something? maybe maybe I should get into these books. And was it too deep? It was it's deep no, stuff. No, his arguments just didn't, didn't go answer my questions. Yeah, they yeah. didn't solve the the. 
Okay. Some people, yeah. you know, more people have become Christians through uh, through uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, than any other book but the Bible. I really do believe that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and so there but, was some things in there that I, I don't know. So to give you an idea of kind of uh, what's, what I find, like you were talking about the self-help stuff, that's probably where you put like Jordan Peterson, but but to me, he's telling me something that I can resonate with. And mm -hmm. I actually, he's not making any kind of claim that I can't be on board with, you know? And so I just, it's the certainty in a lot of areas where I'm just like, mm, I, I just, and, and like I said, maybe it's because I've been burned and I just can't say I'm certain like that again, or I can't like have that kind of confidence again. Not that I'm not that I'm saying that you're certain. I'm just saying right. that. Uh, there's this confidence level that um, is a red flag to me. Like it just makes it really hard for me to, to jump in, but yeah, well, that it might says, be a problem. Not a <laughs> it says in Hebrews 11, one, this is what it says. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Verse two, this is what the ancients were commended for. And it goes through and it lists Abraham and, Noah and others who uh, were what we call it the Hall of Faith chapter, but mm -hmm. a confidence. I, I mean, I can't empirically prove what I'm telling you is true, that the 27 books of the New Testament should be the 27 books. I, yeah. I, I have reasons to believe that that's true, but I don't have solid empirical evidence in that kind of way or that yeah. God exists. I mean, I can show you evidence, but I can't have you touch him and uh, have him speak to you in an right. audible way. And so that's where faith, but it's confidence in knowing it more than just saying a prayer and having that testimony you were talking about before. I know Joseph Smith is a true prophet of God. I know that Russell and Nelson is his true prophet, etc. How do you know that? Well, I prayed about it. Okay. So how do you know that your prayer is answered through there? Well, I feel it. Well, I, I have problems with that. Mm -hmm. As far, I mean, you certainly have a faith and you might have a confidence, but if your faith is not based on reality, then it's no good of a faith. And so, yeah, so I, I'm going to be more of a black and white person than you are. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we can agree to disagree on that. But I do think we have been put on this earth by a higher being. I call him God. And, uh, and that he wants us to get to know who he is. I, mm -hmm. I think he wants glory brought to his name. Uh, and uh, and I, I think that he wants us to know him in a personal way. This life is meaningless without having that relationship with God. Because other, if all we do is eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die, then, you know, I'm worm's meat. Who cares? What, what does it all matter? Is there, is there any purpose? Mm -hmm. uh, where I think there is a purpose, if there is a God. And me do, do serving him can, is my purpose. Do you think you get closer to knowing about God, like with the bigger variety of experiences you have and the more religions you learn about? And see, you see, in my head... I feel like there is, uh, there's some, my curiosity leads me to believe that like, if you're, if you are in some kind of closed system that you're not going to be able to get the big picture, you're not going to be able to see what God is. Well, and I think we need to be open-minded as Christians. You're right. There are a lot of people who would never dare um, go where I've gone. I mean, I have attended numerous uh, other services of other mm -hmm. religions. I have, um, I used to take my students to field trips and I literally would have my, 
at a Christian school and I'd have uh, parents upset with me. Oh, they might convert. No, I think it's more beneficial that they understand what these adherents are saying. Uh, I think people should talk to the adherents. I, if, if all you do is study Mormonism for my books, I don't think you've done enough. I think you need to go talk to your Latter-day Saint friend. Find mm-hmm. out if what I have said Mormonism teaches is true. They might not mm-hmm. believe it. I would be the first to admit that. And I talk about that in my newest book that you can't, you can't uh, assume a Mormon uh, believes anything that y- you know what Mormonism as a religion has taught over the years. Right. But I think that is, you're open-minded. You let people say what they're going to say. You, you study the religion for what it is. I think I can, under uh, without being a Latter-day Saint ever in my life, I think I can understand what Mormonism's truth claims are. Mm-hmm. I know, I think I can make a rational decision to reject those claims based on the evidence, the inference um, with, you know, that I'm talking about uh, that would be laying all the evidence on the table to see what it has to say. I I would say do the same with Christianity. And that's what Micah did. He reads the Bible. He, uh, you know, he didn't do a big study on which books of the Bible should be in there or, you know, how the Bible came to us. He just saw life, uh, uh, the, the, um, the, the, words of the bible i mean uh um, they're living and active like a double-edged sword it says in the book of hebrews and and so uh i i just think that when you experience god by reading his special revelation and you can know what uh uh, hebrews 11 1 and it gives evidence it talks about by faith and then they did these things but the evidence of these old testament patriarchs and these prophets and others who who are part of this chapter 11 great chapter they had confidence in what they hoped for so maybe what you hear some people maybe sounding almost arrogant well i know what i know well i i i'll be the first to say i don't know everything but what i do know i have confidence in what i hope for and i do Mm -hmm. believe i have assurance that I may know that I have eternal life based on the promise given to me in first John five thirteen. Yeah. That's cool. I really appreciate um I really appreciate you taking the time because Marty, I, it's been a I pleasure. Stick. It was a great discussion. I've done my best to explain it in a way that hopefully it was understandable to you. I know I was long winded. Anyway. It was a pleasure. I mean no. it, it really was. And I, I, I you know, I, I think in many ways we're kindred spirits. You know, maybe maybe I'm a, I'm a little older than you are. I'm more than twice your age, but uh, but I, I believe that um, we have the same desire to want. We want what is real, not what is fake. Right, let's just yeah. be honest. I can see that in your life, and that's why you're struggling with these things. And I and I'm not saying there's a magic formula. You know, well, all you have to do is read the Bible, you'll become a Christian. I'm not saying that at all. But I I think that if you seek after God and you want to know the truth, I think. I think you'll find him. And hopefully there are other Christians in your life that have kind of told you the same thing. And yeah. continue your I don't, conversation know if I, with them. I don't know if I scare them because I'll just tell them what I honestly think. So and <laughs> I think I you know what? I love it. I, I would have <laughs> liked to have had you as, as a student in my class. I, I really would. I love students like you because sometimes it would just be the two of us talking. I taught Bible for 17 years in a Christian school to 11th graders. I mean, these, you know, kids are, I'm getting them to own their own faith. And I'm not telling them they had to be just Christian. I say, I I tell them, own whatever it is. If you're going to be an atheist, be an atheist. So I'd have students come out of the proverbial closet. Well, I don't believe in God. I'm not going to go with my parents. Okay, great. So then we would have fun discussions and they loved it. All the other students would listen in. So it'd be like listening into you and me right now. And, Mm -hmm. and then they would, it would would have been fun to have had 30 of your, uh, 
uh, listeners. There you uh, go. There. Yeah, and then they, you know, on a Zoom, they would have said, well, wait a minute. What about this? We would have had even a better time than me hogging the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually one thing I really like about, I, I like Sean McDowell a lot. Um, Good like, friend of mine. He, uh, he did that thing where he got in front of a bunch of students and was talking about how he was an atheist you know what and marty he, he, he actually did that from me really he, he stole he did that a really from me. good job oh he stole that from me and he admits that he did he put on a pair of glasses and he'd be the atheist what i used to do in my bible class is where he got this from because uh in fact i helped get him into christian education 25 years ago whenever that was when he uh he, he said you get paid to do this and he became a teacher the next year at, at capistrano christian he still teaches there to this day but uh but yeah, he does that um, based on what I did. And I'm not trying to be boastful, but what I would do the first day of class, this was called apologetics and theology. First day of class, I said, okay, tomorrow I'm having a professor come in from San Diego State. His name is Dr. Von Johnson. I want you to be kind to him, but I'm going to give him the entire period to talk to. Okay. You know, these arrogant students, you know, okay, yeah, great, great. I, be careful. He's an atheist. So just be careful. So the next day they came to class. Well, it was me wearing my smoking jacket with the pipe, and you know, like the old style professor that I had in San Diego State when I went to the school. And so they'd say, hey, Mr. Johnson. I said, no, it's Dr. Von Johnson. And then I gave a 10 minute, uh, I gave a 10 minute PowerPoint on why God makes no sense. Giving the best, I wasn't trying to play a straw man. I laid it out. And, uh, and so we did that. And then I said, okay, questions and answers. So give me your best. And so they, all these kids raise it, uh, the whole class raised it. What about this? What about that? So I'd come up with the, you know, easy answers to them that I, you know, cause I've talked to a lot of atheists and they're like, oh, okay. And by the end of the period, they were blown away. They had no good answers. In fact, I, I remember this one time, the student was raising his hand again. And the other kids said, put your hand down. He's killing us. <laughs> and then I'd have kids go home and, and, um, and, and then they come back the next day and it would be Mr. Johnson back third day of class. And, and they'd say, I think I lost my faith in Christianity out of all places to lose it in a Bible classroom. I said, great, let's talk about it. What were, and so I'd ask them the third day's class, what were some of the things that he said? And then I won the right to teach them because they had heard the Sunday school Jesus answers all their life, but they had never critically evaluated those things. So what we did the rest of the year, I won them. And the last quarter, that's where we studied world religions. And I would take them to the Hare Krishna uh, temple and to a mosque and to a synagogue and even the Mormon Battalion Center in Old Town, San Diego. And, and so we would do these field trips. And I let the adherents of these religions do all the talking. I didn't I didn't want I didn't want to say anything. It was perfect. But yeah, so so uh, I helped give Sean a lot of his uh, curriculum. He. he I gave it to them all uh, from our whole department. I was a Bible department head there at the school. So I'm not taking away from Sean. He does it better than I did. But yeah, he, the way he does it is he puts on a pair of glasses and Christians, they stumble around. They, they're not very good because they've really not talked to atheists before. So well, the thing I appreciated is that he, um, like you said, he, he was given the strongest arguments for atheism and that, yes. you, don't, you just don't see that generally. That's what um, I tried to do as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I gave their best. Then we talked about it. It was great discussion for the rest of the quarter mm -hmm. as we talked about the evidence for God and what about the problem of evil, uh, good thing or bad things happen to good people. What about, you know, so all those questions that are common questions people ask, let's deal with it. Give me your best. 
That's why I would have loved to have had you in a class just to have uh, your feedback and disagree with me. Mm -hmm. I'd rather have a class when I was teaching and even when I teach now where somebody disagrees with me and I'm not going to single them out and oh, let's, I'm going to beat Marty at this game. Uh, no, but just to hear what the other side in a realistic way uh, is saying. And we have to come up with answers. The Bible mm -hmm. commands us to do so. Yeah, that's cool. Well, anyway, thanks again for your time. And Good pleasure, Marty. Yeah, I appreciate it. So. All right. Well, uh, God bless you. And uh, I'm happy to hear from you again. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks. All right. Bye. T take care. Bye.